but not denied. Last week, if you were here in church with us, Pastor Anne brought a phenomenal message last week. And she talked about Mary, the mother of Jesus. And she was pointing out how Mary brought or basically looked at God's plan and God's promises for her life. And she chose to say yes. She chose to bring her yes to God's promises and go along with the path that God had for her life. And there were certain steps of faith that she took that walked her through difficult times, but right into the fulfillment of what God had for her life. And this morning, you know, I want to talk to you about another amazing woman in the Bible. But I have to be honest, after last Sunday, I walked away and I just got to thinking, I'm like, Man, you know, as a guy, there are always so many guys, so many men in the Bible that we tend to focus on. And I'm just going to be honest, as a guy, this is what I tend to do. I tend to study the men who defeated giants. The men who led, you know, armies into battle even when they were outnumbered and found victory in the name of Jesus. The men who were the prophets and the priests that called down fire from heaven and did amazing things. And sometimes as a guy, we tend to overlook the fact that there are some pretty incredible women, strong, heroic women of faith in the Bible. And I don't know about you, but I am the product of many women of faith, even in my family, a strong mother of faith, grandmothers, other influential women in my life. So listen, how about all the guys in the house this morning? Can we just give it up for the strong women of God in our lives? should be clapping, guys. I'm trying to help you out for later, okay? <laughs> but listen, I do want to talk to you about a very significant woman in the Old Testament, and her name was Hannah. Many of you here today, you already know the story of Hannah, but my hope and my prayer is that we can pull some things out of the story of Hannah that maybe you've skipped right over before. Because sometimes one of the tendencies we have is when we become familiar with a story, we tend to skip right over some very important details. As I've gone back and I've studied Hannah's story a little bit, I've noticed that there's some, some things and some stuff that I've moved right past that was really, really important. So I want to look at her story today, and I hope that it encourages you today. It meets you right where you're at. If you're facing a difficulty, if you're facing an impossibility, if you need God to answer a prayer that you've been praying for a long time, maybe you need God to step in and move in an impossible situation, it is my prayer that this message today will, re- will meet you right where you are. So... I want to read, first of all, from 1 Samuel chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says, Now there was a certain man of Ramatham, Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah. Now skip down to verse 2. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, let's just stop right here for a moment and kind of address the elephant in the room. Because if you were kind of new to your walk with God, if you are new to the Bible, um, it was kind of customary in that day for men to have more than one wife. But let's just make it really clear right now. It is God's will and God's intention that you would only have one partner, okay? Yes, it was kind of weird that uh, these guys had multiple wives. I know that's a little bit strange in our times, but it was customary in that culture. And Immediately we see a couple other things that are really important for us to kind of grab and understand. If you know the story of Hannah, then you understand that for 1 Samuel chapter 1 and chapter 2, Hannah is basically the main character. The Bible focuses in on Hannah for chapter 1 and chapter 2. But what's funny is Hannah is not the first person that's introduced to us in this story. We immediately see the introduction of three people. The very first person that's introduced in this story is a man named Elkanah. Elkanah was Hannah's husband. But then there's a third person and her name is Peninnah. So Hannah and Peninnah are the two wives of Elkanah. You have to understand that this man was introduced first because in this time in the Old Testament, it was customary that the men were the prominent people in their household. And in that day and age, women were kind of viewed as being in the background. They were not brought out to the forefront of life. So before Hannah or Peninnah can be introduced, first we see Elkanah. He's the head of his household. And in those days, he would have been the prominent figure. And Elkanah, or excuse me, Hannah and Peninnah would have just kind of been off in the background. But now, for those of us who know Hannah's story, we know that she was a mighty woman of faith. But what's interesting to understand is that in the proper context, Hannah was actually very much overshadowed by her counterpart, the other wife, this woman named Peninnah. And the reason why was because Peninnah had bore children for Elkanah. If you bore children, that was kind of your identity. A wife was seen in those days specifically to be there for her husband, to give him children, and just kind of 
sit off and be in the background. That's the way that women were very much viewed in the Old Testament days. And so Hannah was not just overshadowed by Peninnah, but what we have to also understand is that Hannah was really a woman who was in search of her own identity because her whole identity was wrapped up in that thing which she could not do. She could not give children to her son as a, or to her husband as of yet. She could not be a provider of a family for her husband, so she's overshadowed by Peninnah. And she's a woman who's very much searching for her own identity. When we read this story in hindsight and we know the end of the story, we sometimes forget that while Hannah moves on to do a great thing in faith, she's very much a woman who's sitting in the background searching and trying to figure out who am I? And I know that for many of us in our lives, we face impossibilities, we face challenges, we face ailments, we face insufficiencies. There's stuff that comes up in our life. And one of the things that can happen so easily is our lives to become defined by our ailment or become defined by our insufficiency or become defined by our lack, to become defined by all the things that we do not have. And in this society that Hannah lived in, everybody would have pointed to her family and said, there's Elkanah, his wife Peninnah, who has given him children. And then there's this woman, Hannah, who's kind of over here in the background. We're trying to figure out what's going on. A lot of people of religious culture and custom would have also believed that perhaps there was something wrong with Hannah. Maybe God had put a curse upon her. Maybe there was sin in her life. What was the reason that she couldn't bear children? People would have pointed the finger at her. In some, way, in some ways, she would have been kind of an outcast where people would have looked at her and said, something's missing with Hannah. Something's not quite right because she hasn't been able to bear children. Something that defines so many women in that culture. Hannah found herself in a situation where she was defined by her insufficiency. What's interesting about this is that there are other people in scripture that we see whose names we never know who are simply defined by their ailment, their lack, or their insufficiency. We see a whole host of examples of these things, especially in the life of Jesus. We see the lame man, the leper, the paralytic, the cripple, the blind man, the deaf man, and even a woman who's simply defined as the woman with the issue of blood. We don't even know her name, we just knew about her issue. Have you ever found yourself at a place in life where you have an insufficiency, you have something that you're lacking in your life, and people know you by that which you do not have? It's come to define your very existence. I want to tell you today that you might be at a place in your life where you feel like you're in weakness because of your insufficiency, but God wants to pour out his sufficient grace into your insufficiency and see to it that his strength is made perfect in your weakness. That is the will of our God for your life and for my life. Now... I want to read on because it's really, really important that we understand this whole picture here with Hannah. Look at verse 3. Speaking of her husband, Elkanah, it says, This man, Elkanah, went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Skip down to verse 4. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, as was custom in their culture, for him to make an offering to the Lord, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters, but to Hannah... He would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah. And listen to these very, very important words. He loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. Although the Lord had closed her womb. Think about those words for just a moment. Hold on to them, because I want to come back to that in a second. But the picture that we see here with Elkanah is that he understood that his wife's life had become defined by her insufficiency. So while he gives portions of his offering to the wife and, his, and her children, the other wife he comes back to and gives her a double portion because Elkanah realizes there's something that's missing in her life. And I'm going to do my best to try to make up for that thing which is missing in her life. He's a loving husband. He's doing his best to try to provide for his wife. Look at verse 6. And her rival... Talking about the other wife, Peninnah, also provoked her severely to make her miserable. And again, it says these words, because the Lord had closed her womb. Verse 7, so it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that Hannah was provoked by Peninnah. Therefore, she wept and she did not eat. Now, we've already understood that, Pen that Hannah's life was really defined by her ailment, by her insufficiency, and by her lack. But it's reached a point in Hannah's life where not only is her life defined by it, but she's able to look ahead and realize that unless God intervenes and brings about an answer to my prayers, the rest of my existence, not just the time that's behind me leading up to now, but the rest of my life will be defined by my insufficiency, by my lack, and by the things that I do not have. 
And she stands at this crossroads in her life and she realizes that it seems like it's impossible that I will ever conceive a child. So what does she do? What's she going to do? I want to stop right here and I just want to quickly paint a picture for you because I think it's incredible, incredibly important that all of us understand that while we might not be dealing with the same challenge that Hannah had, and I say that very sensitively because there could be women here that you're dealing with the same issue that Hannah had. So please hear this sensitively from the bottom of my heart. I believe that God can intervene. He can do the miraculous and people have told you that it's impossible. God can do the impossible. But listen, I want to paint a picture for you because Hannah has found herself at this place where she does not want the rest of her life to be defined by her ailment. And I think for most of us what happens is we find ourselves on this road called life and sometimes our road comes to a dead end and it seems as though the road has fallen out in front of us and there's a canyon of impossibility that lies between where we are and where we want to go. Hannah has found herself at that place and how does she get from here to there when the canyon of impossibility has taken the road away and she can't figure out how to get there? What do you do? Where do you go? Who do you talk to? There's a lot of different ways that she could have gone. She already knows that she can't find the strength within herself. She already recognizes her own insufficiency. Let me ask you, where do you go? Who do you turn to and who do you talk to when you find yourself in moments of impossibility and insufficiency? For a lot of us, we go to family. We go to friends, we go to the people that we work with, we go to companions, to other people that we're in relationship with. Sometimes we go to our spouse. Sometimes we go to the people that we're closest with for comfort. Or maybe we even go to them hoping that they can fix our problem. But I want to show you something really interesting in this next step because we see that Hannah has this encounter with her husband Elkanah. And it seems like Elkanah, knowing that Hannah's crying out, she's got an insufficiency and an impossibility in her life. And it looks like Elkanah wants to step in and try to fix the situation himself. You know, guys, we're fixers, right? We want to fix everything. If our wife has an issue, if people in our world have an issue, we want to be the problem solver. We want to be the one that steps in and makes it all good again. Let me show you something funny that Elkanah does here. You've got to catch this because this is so incredibly important. Look at this in verse 8. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Oh, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you? Then ten sons. Now, ladies, can you just go somewhere with me for a moment? Because I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but come on, every woman in the house knows what it's like to be in, the, moment, in the, the middle of a very difficult and emotional season. And what you need more than anything else is just a shoulder to cry on. And leave it to one of us clever guys to walk up, put our arm around you, and suddenly make it about us. Oh, honey... Why are you so upset? What's wrong? Am I not enough for you? I mean, don't you know that right there in that moment, Hannah's like, shut up, man. You're only making things worse. As a matter of fact, if you hadn't gone and married that other woman and let her have your kids, we wouldn't be in this situation and I wouldn't be feeling so bad. Now, Scripture doesn't say that, but, you know, we're just having some fun here. But listen... This is such a typical response of an insensitive man, like open mouth and insert foot. And I think that most of the ladies here, you've had an experience like this, but the reason why I'm a little, you know, free to speak up about this is because let me just tell you that I have totally done that. Okay? Like I've been the person to be insensitive in the moment when something was really, really important, maybe on my wife's heart or somebody else, and I'm like, no, you need to have faith. <laughs> no, what you need to do is shut up and listen. I say this to you because Scripture doesn't tell us that Hannah ran to Elkanah and said, save me from my problems, fix this situation for me. But what we do see is that Elkanah kind of intervenes and he has this encounter and he's like, am I not good enough for you? And what you have to understand is that when you find yourself in an insufficiency, in an impossible situation that only God can fix, if you run to people looking to solve your problems, you are sadly misleading yourself. Because your family, your friends, and even your spouse was not given to you to be your savior. They are there to be your support system who points you in the direction of the only one who can solve your problems, and that's Jesus. Now, now, the reason I say that is because so many of us, it's so easy when we face difficult situations to run to people hoping that they'll give us the words, they'll put something tangible in our hands that will solve our problems. But the thing about faith is that faith is taking steps even when things don't quite seem tangible. Believing God when I don't understand how it's going to go. 
And Hannah finds herself at this impossible situation where the canyon of impossibility is in front of her. And God is saying, Hannah, will you keep walking? And so Hannah has this encounter and it looks like her husband wants to fix the whole problem and fix the whole situation. I want to tell you something today that God did not bring friendships and people and family and spouses into our life to be our savior. They're there to be our support system who point us in the direction of a savior who can fix our problems, who can intervene, who can do the miraculous in our lives. But just for a moment, let's kind of put the shoe and let's jump in, let's take that shoe off and put the other one on for a moment. Every single one of us, when we encounter people who are going through difficult situations, I don't know about you, but you know, as a pastor, man, I have people all the time that, are, that call the office or we talk at church or we just have regular conversations and they're talking about, man, I'm really going through this impossibility. I'm going through this difficult thing. Can I tell you one of the worst things that we can do when someone is going through a difficult time is speak words of insensitivity to them. Because you might be a great person of faith and somebody comes to you and they're walking through something that's difficult and their faith is growing. And the worst thing that you can do is look at them and say, well, you need to have more faith. Listen, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. So that you can listen twice as much as you speak. And when people bring difficult situations to us, the one thing we need to understand first and foremost is that we need to be slow to speak and quick to listen. Never forget, three and a half years ago. We moved out here, my wife and I did, and when we moved to Marietta, like, and we were so excited. We knew this was the plan of God. We knew this is what God had for our lives. When we got out here, it was like, man, we're so excited about everything that God's going to do, being a part of the Bridge Church. But the biggest, most difficult thing was that we left all of our very best friends, the people that we had community with in Orange County where we moved from. And my wife, when we moved, was seven months pregnant. And how many women know that seven plus months pregnant is just miserable to begin with? And I'll never forget one night, it was even further along after that, it was nearing the time that our daughter was born. I came into the bedroom one night and my wife was like, she's sitting on the bed and, and I walked in and I'm like just getting ready to crawl in bed. I'm not even paying attention to what she's doing. And I look over and she's just got these big tears coming down her face. And I'm like, what's wrong, babe? Am I not enough? No, I'm just kidding. But I told her, I said, what's wrong? You know, I asked, what, what's going on? And she's like, I can't sleep good at night because I'm eight plus months pregnant. I just feel terrible. I want pregnancy to be over with. And here I am in a new place doing this all by myself. And I thought that pregnancy was going to be with my best friends who were pregnant at the same time. And some of my other friends who had just had babies right before me. And I just didn't see it all playing out like this. And here I am, this guy that's all excited. Well, God's going to provide and we got to have faith. And he's pulling us into a new season with new opportunities and new open roads and windows. And she's like, yeah, but I'm lonely. <laughs> it was heartbreaking for me because I remembered sitting there feeling like, man, what an idiot I am. Thinking that this is just going to be so smooth and it's all just going to be, you know, rainbows and roses. You know, sometimes the walk of faith is a challenge. I remember having to sit there and learn that night that the worst thing I could do was speak up and say, well, you got to have more faith, baby. <laughs> and the best thing I could do was just close my mouth, listen, and be a shoulder to cry on. Sometimes when people bring their impossibilities to us, we have to understand that the worst thing we can do is be insensitive and discourage them from continuing to walk out their faith in God. We have to be very, very careful when people bring things like that to us. Now, I want to tell you one more story, and I want to stay here for just a moment, and there, there's a very specific reason for this. I learned a really hard lesson a few months ago. About four months ago, I was here at the office one day, and there was a gentleman that called the office. He does not go to our church, never been to our church. In fact, this guy Googled churches in Marietta, somehow found our church, called the office, and he said, I have a family emergency. My family's down here at the hospital. It's a really, really ugly, bad thing, and I just need a pastor to come and be here with us having absolutely no idea what it was that I was about to walk into. So I got down to uh, Inland Valley Hospital, and I walked in, and I was like, I met this guy who I'd never seen before in my life, and I said, what's going on? And he looks at me, and he says, it was my brother, like, he's just been going through a lot. He was in his backyard. He had a gun. He was talking about taking his own life. His wife came out to intervene. It became a struggle and a situation and an argument, and while they struggled over the weapon, he pulled the trigger and he shot himself in the back of the head. And it didn't take his life, but he had a hole in the back of his head. He had lost his vision. And while he was still alive and induced into a coma, I got there and this guy's telling me about everything that's going on. And there's two sides of the family who nearly came to blows in the emergency room over whose fault is it. 
And why did this happen? And why is this happening to our family? And I'm in the middle of this situation thinking, dear God, what in the world have I gotten myself into? And this guy looked at me and he said, well, I just wanted you to be here because we need someone to keep the peace between the families. And I'm like, I don't even know these people. <laughs> a few minutes later, actually a couple hours later, the doctors told us that we could come into the room. And what I quickly found out was that the wife of this man who had shot himself, she had no desire for me to be there. Like none. It was this gentleman who just wanted me to be there and he wanted to kind of insert me into this situation. And when I took two steps into that hospital room, that woman stood there and looked at me with her husband laying in a hospital bed with a hole in the back of his head. And she looked at me with a straight face like, what in the world are you doing here? I don't have time for you right now. And I thought to myself, dear God, what am I gonna say right now? Because I have no idea what to say. And I'm not kidding, Holy Spirit like inspired moment. I looked at her and I said the most honest thing I knew how to say I said, ma'am, I have no idea what you're going through right now. I have no idea how you feel right now. This situation that you're in, it's like worse than anything I can possibly imagine. And I'm pretty sure that you don't want me to be here right now. So I'm just going to do two things really quickly. I'm going to pray with you really fast. I'm going to give you my contact info in case you want anything or need anything else from me. And then I'm going to run and I'm going to get out of your hair. And this woman looked at me with that straight face like she had a look of anger in her eyes. And then suddenly she just broke and she began to weep and she said, thank you. And I'm like, for what? And she said, for not saying that you know how I feel right now. And not saying that you know what I'm going through because everybody has walked in and out of this hospital room and they've said, I know how you feel and I want to know what you're going through. And she just shouted, she said, nobody knows how I feel right now. Nobody knows what I'm going through. And I watched how God began to work as there's a chaplain there in the hospital that began to work with her and her family who stayed in touch and was able to minister and kind of build a relationship there. But what was so amazing is I look back and I learned this lesson that there are times in our life where people come to us and they want us maybe to solve their situations or we get inserted into a situation that is bigger than us. And it's not up, uh, up to us to be a savior. It's up to us to be support systems who are sensitive and simply point the way to the one who can solve their problems. Please, please, please hear me today. If you are walking with God, God is going to bring people into your life for you to encourage, not solve their problems. So be sensitive so that people will stay the course and not give up in their walk of faith. Amen? Now, uh, let, let's keep going because I want to look at the next thing that happens here with Hannah. Look at verse 9. It says, So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. Hannah's still going through a difficult situation. She can't solve the problem. Her husband can't solve the problem. So where does she go? She runs to the house of the Lord. This is a beautiful picture. Check this out. It says in verse 10, And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and she wept in anguish. Then she made a vow. This is so important. Everybody check this out. Listen to this. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. That last picture there is just a, a picture of priestly duty, the hair not being cut in those days in the Jewish custom. But she says, God... If you will give me a son, if you will intervene in the midst of my impossibility, in the midst of my insufficiency, if you will intervene and give me a son, I promise you, I make a vow this day that I will give him to you and he will serve you all the days of his life. And the thing I want you to see this morning that's so incredibly important is just this. Many of us, when we pray to God in the midst of impossibilities or insufficiencies or pain or struggle or suffering, what we say is, God, please just bring an end to my suffering. And if you're hurting and you're suffering, I believe that God wants to bring comfort. He wants to bring healing and he wants to bring peace. But Hannah didn't just pray that prayer. She said, God, take my pain and use it for your purpose. Listen, maybe right now you're in the midst of an impossible situation and your life is defined by your insufficiency, by your lack and all the things that you don't have. I believe that God wants to get involved, but maybe the better prayer we should be praying is not God just solve my suffering, but God bring purpose to my pain. So 
See, we talked about this over the last few weeks when we were in our series on purpose. One of the things that we talked about is that God has a specific purpose for every single one of our lives. But God's purposes for your life are not just about you. They're about others. The best thing that you can give to other people is the story of what God has done for you. Your story is your greatest testimony. When we walk through tests, I know this sounds cliche, but when we walk through tests, we have to understand that tests are always the precursor of testimonies. And right now, if you're facing a test, then know that there's something that's on the other side of that test that's greater than just the purpose that you think God has for your life. It's what God wants to do through your life to show his goodness to other people. Because we see Hannah makes this vow. She says, God, if you will do this, if you will take my pain, God, I choose to attach it to your purpose. But if you'll take my pain, attach it to your purpose, then my son, if you'll give him to me, I'll make sure that he lives for you all the days of his life. I believe that God wants to come and he wants to solve your suffering. That he wants to bring healing and peace to the pain that you're in. But I think the greatest prayer we can possibly pray when we find ourselves in that spot is, God, let me attach my pain to your purpose so that other, can, other people can see the goodness of God through my life. It's the greatest testimony that our life can show. What if we changed our prayer? Ashley and I right now, we have something very specific that we are praying about, that we are believing for, that we are holding out hope and expectation for. And let me tell you something. When God comes through, when he answered this prayer, we're going to be able to look back and say, we didn't do it because we knew all along that we didn't have the ability. We were never sufficient enough. This was a God thing that God did. And we choose to look at this thing and say, God, you did that. We make a vow that when you provide, we will make sure it's a testimony of your goodness. What if our prayers sounded like that? Because I believe God looks down and says, now that's somebody that I can work with. Because it's not just about them, it's about my purposes for other people as well. Hannah makes this incredible vow. And it's like a commitment, it's like a stake in the ground, it's like a declaration. It's a statement that she makes that says, God, if you will do this, I promise I'll commit him to you all the days of my life that it will be a testimony of your goodness. Now, she runs to the house of the Lord and one of the things that happens is she's crying out in anguish and she's weeping and she, she's praying to the Lord. And as she's in the temple, Eli, who's the priest, he's off to the side and he looks over and he sees this woman who's in such despair and such anguish that she's just furiously just, just crying out to God and her lips are moving quickly. That's what literally what scripture says. And the words are coming out fast and it's almost like he can't understand what's being said. And Eli looks at her and he thinks that maybe she's come into the temple and she's been drunk, like she's had too much to drink. And Eli walks up to her and says, woman, have you had too much to drink? And Hannah begins to respond to Eli and tell Eli about the pain and the suffering that she's been going through. Look at verse 15. But Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Listen, if you're in a place of anguish and hurt and suffering, don't go pouring out your soul to people that can't solve your problems. Run straight to God, run straight to his house and pour it out because there is somebody who can solve the problems of our life. Verse 16, do not consider your maidservant, she's speaking to Eli the priest, do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, go in peace, and the God of Israel Grant your petition, which you have asked of him. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Verse 19, then they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. Now, for those of you who haven't read into what that means, it means that Elkanah and Hannah kind of went and got to know each other a little bit better. Um, I don't know another way to explain it. There's probably underage people in the room. <laughs> and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Verse 20, so it came to pass, listen to this, in the process of time. Everybody say the process of time. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, because I, ha I have asked for him from 
the Lord. Now, the picture that you have to see here, this almost doesn't describe it well enough. When it says that she conceived and bore a son, what it literally means when it says, because I have asked of him from the Lord, what it says literally is that she named him because I have asked, asked of him from the Lord. Samuel, the name Samuel means that whom was asked for, he whom was asked for. So she literally said, God, use my pain for your purpose. And when the day comes that you answer that prayer, his life will be a testimony of your goodness. And she literally named him like he was a testimony. He's the one that I asked for. And everybody knew that his name was Samuel. When they said the name Samuel, they understood that his mother had prayed for him. And he was the answer to a prayer. What's so great about this is that for many of us, when we ask God to attach our pain to his purpose, and then we see him answer that prayer, when we see him come through, when we see him step into an impossible situation, we have the opportunity to make our life a living testimony of God's goodness. What would happen if our kids, when we pointed them out to other people, we said, that's my little Samuel, because he's the one that I prayed for. Little girl right there, that's my little Sammy. She's the one that I prayed for. She's the one that I asked for. In the midst of what the doctors were saying, in the midst of impossible situations, her name, his name is simply a testimony of the fact that I asked, I believed, and I received. And God is good. God is faithful. I will define their life by the testimony that they live out. What if the house that you've been praying for, what if you said, God, take this thing that we're praying for, God, and let that be my Samuel house. Let everybody know around me that that's the house that I asked for. That's the one that we believe for. What if everything we're asking God for was attached to a purpose that would end up being a testimony in our lives? Because I believe that that's what God wants to do if we're asking with the right heart. God, take my pain, take my suffering and use it for your kingdom purpose. Samuel had a name that was a testimony. And every time people saw him, they knew that he was an answer to Hannah's prayer. You know, this morning, the title of this message is Delayed But Not Denied. You might be kind of wondering like what the significance of that phrase is in comparison to this message. I want to just go back and highlight two other things very quickly for you in the time that we have remaining. You know, in verses 5 and 6, it specifically said as it repeats it, the Lord had closed Hannah's womb. The Lord had closed Hannah's womb. That's a lot to think about. Why did God close Hannah's womb? I don't know about you, but, you know, for me growing up in church, I've heard the story of Hannah many, many times in my life. And most of the time that I heard the story of Hannah told, people would talk about Hannah, the barren woman who conceived a son. Well, what's interesting is there's actually a very specific Hebrew word that we see throughout the Old Testament. It describes Sarah, Abraham's wife. We see Rachel described this way. We see the mother of Samson described this way. We see one of David's wives described this way. A specific word that is used to describe them as being barren. But you know, this word isn't used to describe Hannah. In fact, when we look at 1 Samuel chapter 1, we don't see the word barren anywhere there in the text. And the reason why I bring that up to you this morning is because I think Hannah understood that God was not denying her what she was asking for, but there was a time in which it would come to pass. And a lot of times what we tend to do is we call things dead when God has simply called them delayed. We call things dead when God has simply called them delayed. Listen, let me just give you a warning when it comes to your faith. Don't call something dead that God has called delayed. Because if you call it dead, we tend to walk away and say, well, I guess that's the end of it. I guess it's over. I guess this is never going to happen. God, I guess I'm never going to have a son, never going to have a daughter, never going to have that house that we really want and we're believing for. We're never going to have the things that we need because it hasn't happened in the time in which we wanted it to. Later on, it says that in the process of time, she conceived and bore a son. Now, l let me just throw something out here for you to think about, okay? And I don't want to get like all deep and theological and lead us down the wrong path, but Scripture tells us that God is omniscient. He knows everything. There's nothing that is like a surprise to God. I don't think God wakes up, but God never does wake up and say, hey, I never thought of that before. Like God, he's omniscient. He knows everything. Scripture tells us that God is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. That doesn't just mean that God knows the beginning and knows the end. It means that God is the living embodiment of the beginning and the end. God created the beginning and he created the end. That's who God is. And so time, this thing that we live inside of, it, it's, it all fits right inside in the middle of who God is. It's all embodied in, in who God is. You and I live inside of time, but God, he lives outside of time. And when God looks at our lives, he already knows what the rest of our story looks like. Now, some of you are thinking ahead. Don't go there. Just stay in for one moment, okay? 
Scripture tells us that Hannah made a vow before the Lord, and then in the process of time, she conceived and bore a son. Hannah had the free will choice to make a vow that, God, if you will answer my prayer, I will give him back to you and he will be a testimony. Hannah understood something that all of us must get our head around, and I think that this is so important. A wise man once told me that God's delays are not God's denials. And sometimes what we do when things seem denied or, or excuse me, when things seem delayed is we say, well, I guess God doesn't want to give that to me. I guess God doesn't want to do that for me. God's delays are not God's denials. Oftentimes right on, on the other side of a decision that we make to quit is the provision that we've been asking for. Sometimes we stop walking and we didn't know that our next step was the answer to our prayer. Behind every corner that we encounter is potential for a blessing and a testimony. But we are the ones who have to choose to keep walking. And if you're at a place in your life where the thing that you've been praying for hasn't happened yet, it hasn't come to pass yet, the thing you've been believing for, maybe the impossible situation that you're looking at right now, it hasn't been solved yet by God. God's delays are not his denials. Keep walking because maybe in the process of time, there's an answer waiting at an intersection in your walk of faith. Because oftentimes, the provision that we're asking for lies at an intersection of our faith. And I love that thought because for Hannah, she found herself at this place of impossibility. And when she saw that the road was kind of a dead-end road and there was a canyon of impossibility, and she's here and she needs to get there, but there's this big open space, how do I get there? A lot of us, what we do is we begin to quit. We say, wow, you know, God, I've kind of reached this, this dead-end point. I need you to build me a bridge, God. And God's like, I need you to take a step. Yeah, but God, I don't know where I'm going, so I need you to build a bridge. And God's like, no, I just, I just need you to take a step. And what God wants us to do oftentimes in our walk of faith is to do this. He wants us to take a step even, we don't, even when we don't know where our foot is going to land. Because that's what faith looks like. Sometimes it's understanding that God's made us a promise and I don't really see where my foot's going to land. God's like, it's okay, I know where it's going to land. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. God, build me a bridge. No, just take that step. For Hannah, she saw that there was an impossibility. And what did she do? She made a vow. God, I attach my pain to your purpose so that this test can become a testimony. And she even called her son the very testimony and the answer to her prayer. For many of us, if you come to the church here every single week or you're, a bit, you're a really involved here at the bridge, we speak a message of faith all the time in our church. And there's a lot of different things that we could preach about, a lot of different things that we could talk about. But I want to tell you something. There is not one day of your life if you are walking with God where you, where you will not be required to trust him and walk out in faith what he is asking you to do. And a lot of us, what we want is we want that which is secure, that which we can see with our own eyes and that which is tangible. Because if we can see it and if we can understand it and if we know how long it's going to take, then that gives us a sense of security. And we search in so many places to find security all the time. And I want to tell you that when we find ourselves outside of a relationship with God, it is the most insecure place to be. Because the most secure place we can be is trusting God even if we don't see where we're going. At least we know that we're on the path that he has for our life. If you're here this morning and you've been praying for God to intervene in a situation, you've been holding out hope, you have a request that you've been praying over for a long time, I want to tell you something. It might not have come to pass yet, but God's delays are not God's denials. Keep walking in faith because there's an intersection coming soon where God's provision is going to drop right into your lap. And it requires faith. It requires trust. If you're facing an impossibility, a difficult situation where you think, God, only a miracle is going to save me from this one. Well, let me tell you something. The people in your world aren't the ones who can save you and help you out in this situation. Only God can do that, but it always requires faith. God, I choose to take my pain, attach it to your purpose, so that what I go through will be a testimony of your goodness. This morning in closing, if you're in a place where you're waiting for God to provide, you're waiting for God to come through. You don't have answers to your questions. Maybe it's even an impossible situation. Don't stop walking out your walk of faith because you never know what God might have for you in that very next step. Hannah saw her impossibility and she said, God, I choose to make a vow. I choose to let this be a declaration, a statement of faith, a stake in the ground moment where I declare, God, that if you will come through and answer this prayer, I'll give him back to you. There'll be a purpose for his life, a purpose that's greater than me. And if you'll do that, God, he'll serve you all the days of his life. 
Maybe today what you need to do is take your pain and attach it to purpose. Maybe today you need to choose to walk through the test so that it can be a testimony. Maybe today the thing that you need to do is to look to God and say, God, I choose to give you my weakness, pour out your strength, and let your grace be sufficient. Would you bow your head this morning? Father, I thank you today that even if we're going through an impossible situation, a difficult time, no matter what it is that we're going through, God, you are always right here with us. Father, you see our need. You see the needs of your people in every single detail of what we're going through. You know exactly what we need before we even arrive at that place of need. I pray today, Father, that you would help those who are feeling discouraged, God, that you would encourage them, that you would bring comfort into their hearts. And right now, Father, for people who feel as though there's an impossibility set before them, an insufficiency, God, a sense of lack that's defining their life, Father, I pray that you would be near, God, in Jesus' name, that you would pour out your strength into our weakness, that your grace would be sufficient. For every single person that's here today, maybe the prayer that you need to pray is a vow to God. God, use my test as a testimony. Use my pain for your purpose, Lord. Bring relief, God, but use my pain for a purpose. God, we choose to make that vow. If you'll answer our prayers, we'll attach our pain to your purpose. And our lives will be a testimony of your goodness. Father, I thank you for the good things that you are doing in our lives. I thank you that there are answers coming into our life. I thank you, Father, that you are going to open up the windows of heaven and pour out your faithful abundance into people's lives, Father, who have been asking and expecting and believing and holding out hope. In Jesus' name. Just for another moment with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and maybe you've never made a decision to follow Christ, maybe you've never accepted Jesus into your life, I don't say this lightly, but seriously, the best decision you could ever make in your life is to simply commit it to Jesus, to invite him in, to let him take the reins of your life and walk you into the very best things that he has for you, the purposes that he has for you. The Bible tells us that sin, this thing, that to separate us from God is something that we all have a nature, a sinful nature that leads us into the wrong things. We've all made mistakes. We've all missed the mark. You might feel like you're not good enough to walk into a relationship with God, but I want to tell you how much God loved you. He loved you so much that right there in the midst of your imperfection, he sent his perfect son to take your place on a cross, to die the death that you and I deserve for our sins so that we could be forgiven. But he didn't stop there. Scripture tells us that God raised him from the dead three days later. When he was raised from the dead, he conquered death and hell and the grave for all of eternity so that you and I could have it at peace with God. If you're here today and you've never made that decision or maybe you've been walking on your own outside of a relationship with God, I want to pray for you today and I want to ask you to repeat these words after me, but more importantly, to wrap your heart around these words. God's word tells us that if we believe in our heart, and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. Today I'd love to introduce you to a relationship with Jesus. So right now, all together, we're not going to put anybody on the spot, but all together publicly, we're going to pray a prayer. And I want to ask everybody if you would repeat these words after me and say, Dear Jesus, I thank you for taking my place on the cross, for dying the death that I deserved, so that I could be forgiven, so that I could have purpose, and so that I could have peace for all of eternity. Today I choose you because I know that you love me. I make you my savior. I make you my Lord. I choose to follow you for all of my days. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, you know, maybe the most important thing that we'll do all morning is invite people into a relationship with God. So can I just ask everybody, hang tight till the end of service because this is so incredibly important. If you're here today and you made that decision to follow Jesus and start walking with him, maybe for the very first time, we want to help you in that walk because God did not intend for you to do it alone. And we want to walk you into that relationship with God and stand here beside you and, and really just be your support system to help you along the way. But I'd love to give you a free gift and just a simple tool to help you start that walk. We have a small book. It's called The Next Seven Days. And we want to give it to you. There's two different ways that you can get it. Right after service, we're going to have some prayer teams right down front. If you have something going on in your life and need someone to stand with you, to agree with you and pray with you, please, please, please come down. Say hi to one of these prayer teams. Let them know they're happy to pray with you. 
But if you just want to let them know that you made the decision, you want to get the book, and you want to go, that's fine too. But we are here to help you however we can. But please come tell somebody that you made that decision. If you got to go quickly, stop by the Connection Center outside in the middle of the foyer. Let them know today you made that decision in your heart because we want to help you start that walk with God. We're here to help. We don't need anything from you, but if we can help you, we want to do that. So, hey, everybody that's already made that decision before, can we put our hands together and welcome people into God's family today? Amen. Did you enjoy that message this morning? I, I want to do one more thing before we're finished. Just give us a couple more minutes here. I want to pray one more prayer. Um, we did this first service, and I feel so strongly about this. As you read that story, and we're not going to go back and re-preach it, but Hannah went to God's house, and she made her vow to God and said, God, here's my pain. Use it for your glory and for your purpose. I really feel so strongly this morning. When, when you hear a message like this, you need to have an opportunity to make that kind of vow and say, God, I want to give this thing to you, and I want you to turn it around. But when you turn it around, I want it to be for your glory. I know there are people in this house today that some things have been delayed and you've begun to question and wonder if God's denied and said no. As you've heard this message, it's stirred up inside and you know it's alive. God's going to do it. I want to give you a chance to make that vow. And I, we wouldn't embarrass you for anything. But if you've been standing in faith waiting for something and it's been so delayed and you felt like it wasn't coming and you've been about ready to give up, but now you're ready to take your stand and give it to God and let God turn into purpose. I want to pray for you, and I want you to stand to your feet right now as a sign of faith. Not to embarrass you, but as a sign of your faith, I want you to just stand to your feet. Just stand there for a second, okay? Look at this. Zach, come pray this prayer. Lead, lead us in this prayer. Here's what I want you to do. Just take that situation and give it to God right now. As Zach leads you. Father, today we thank you that you see exactly where we are. God, for the people who have stood to their feet today, God, and even for the ones who haven't, God, for people that are facing difficulties, impossible situations, and even challenges, God, this is our statement. This is our vow to you, Father. We ask that you would take our pain, that you would take our challenge, maybe even for some people, our suffering, and that you would use it for your kingdom purposes. Father, your word declares that your ways are higher than ours, God. And we know that you can take the difficulty that we are walking through and you can use it for something so much greater than just our lives. Father, I pray today in Jesus' name for people that have taken bold steps of faith just to stand to their feet in front of a group of people and declare, God, I need you to intervene. I pray that you would honor that faith, God. And today we make a bold declaration and a bold proclamation that we believe that you are faithful, God. That there's provision lying right around the corner. That our next step, Father, is ordered by you. We will continue to trust knowing that you will answer our prayer. God, we declare today that you who promised, you are faithful. You're the alpha. You're the omega. You're the author and the finisher of our faith. You know our next step before we even get there. And today, Father, as we make this stand, as we make this declaration, and as we take this vow, we commit to you our ways. We commit to you our challenges. We take it, we lay it down, and we give it to you. And we say, Father, take this and make of it what you will for your kingdom purposes. God, we trust you. We trust you. We know that you have our best interests at heart, God, and that you have a good plan for each and every one of our lives, Father, because you who began this work are always faithful to complete it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can amen. we just give God praise in the house this morning? You can be seated. Thank you so much. I enjoyed that message, Zach. Thank you so much. That Give, give Pastor Zach a good hand. That was awesome. This is the point in time in our service where we give back to God. We give him our tithes, our offerings. It's just a way of us expressing our hearts to God for his goodness, his faithfulness in our lives. Uh, you see God working right here in this building today. You see what God's doing through the Bridge Church in our community and around the world through missions. I just want to say thank you so much for your faithfulness and giving. As we give to God, God opens the windows of heaven. He blesses our lives. So as the ushers come right now, let's give back to God with grateful hearts. And as we give, let's watch church news together. Good morning.
morning, everyone, and welcome to The Bridge. My name is Adrienne, and I want to welcome you and say thanks for being in church today. We really are grateful that you are here, and we hope that you'll get connected and be a part of everything that's happening in church. Here's a look at what's coming up at The Bridge. On Sunday, March 26th, our Kenya Missions team will be hosting a fundraiser luncheon after our 11 a.m. service. All of the proceeds will be going to benefit our upcoming Kenya Missions trip this summer. Tickets for this event will go on sale next Sunday after each of our services. Adult tickets are $10 and tickets for kids 3 through 12 are only $5. We hope that you'll join us for this fun event that will go to benefit the greatest cause of all, spreading the gospel across the globe. We are just one week away from launching our new series that we're going to call The Walk. It's all about building your relationship with God. We're going to answer so many questions. It's going to be a great, great series. And we want to encourage you to be here every week starting next Sunday for the next six weeks as we talk about walking with God. And then also we're going to be launching our connect group starting next week. And we're going to be using a video curriculum called The Walk that covers the very same topics we're going to be teaching on Sundays. It's going to be a great opportunity to meet new friends, to build new relationships, but more importantly, learn from others and learn together as we grow our relationship with God. So get involved in Connect Groups and this series starting next Sunday. If you are a guest with us today, we would love to meet you and help you find a home here at The Bridge. Stop by the Connection Center after service and say hi. Our team would love to meet you and tell you more about everything that's coming up in church life. And if you made a decision to follow Jesus today, you can also grab a free copy of the next seven days at the Connection Center. We want to help you get started on your journey of faith. If you want to stay connected, be sure to check out our website, thebridgechurch.tv, for details about everything that's coming up. We look forward to connecting with you. I don't want to give you all of the church news all over again, but there are some things going on out of our normal schedule. Chick Connection is tomorrow night at 6.30. It's not Tuesday morning. It's a, a, the monthly Monday night meeting, tomorrow night at 6.30. And ladies, if you would tomorrow night, use the entrance on that, that side of the building because we'll have construction going on in the lobby tomorrow. So tomorrow night, Chick Connection. Wednesday night, prayer night. The first Wednesday of every month, we're having a prayer from 7 to 8 o'clock during youth service, child care about what's going on in your life, pray about what God's doing in church. We so very much. And then you heard the announcement, but I, I really want to drive it home. Next week we're starting this Please find a group you can get involved in. I promise you, you'll make some great friends. Not only that, you will grow in God and you'll have a chance to minister to people out of what you've been through in your walk with God. So take advantage of that. And once again, thanks for being in church today. I need a handful of men who usually help us in setting up for Chick Connection. But don't go through the lobby. Go out this hallway into the youth facility and we can set the tables up there. Hey, God bless you. We love you. Have a great, great